Hello, patrons! Welcome to a very fun and interactive episode uh, for patrons of 80s All Over. Today, my co-host and I are going to be talking about video games. So let's hit player two. Plink! Uh, thank you. It's such a broad topic, but at the same time, the 80s is really where we had the birth of move, of Hollywood trying to figure out how to handle video games, what to do with it. And so... It's a perfect topic to talk about because this is where all those seeds are laid for stuff that they're still trying to do, still trying to figure out. And, dude, I know, Scott, you've been playing um, some Red Dead Redemption 2 recently. Yeah, I'm playing it right now. Hold on. Paul. All right, go ahead. It's – and the numbers for that opening weekend, 700 and something – what is it like 17 billion it's insane like fantasy land number i assume it's one of the it's going well see here's the thing i think it was like 700 million in a weekend and it's sold 17 million copies so far i'm barely interested in movie box office numbers so therefore i am exponentially less interested i know it's going to be one of the most highly sold uh, high sell highest selling video games ever well it's that that number it's like yeah, but it's like when Star Wars made $100 million at the box office and Hollywood heard that number and went, I, what? And when they went nuts. They hear a number like $750 million for a weekend and they they like have heart palpitations. It's crazy to them. So I think that's not going anywhere. That relationship's always going to exist. What I find amusing is that in, in the current uh, movie realm, it's a generally accepted rule, although obviously their opinions may vary and this rule could change, uh, that video game movies suck. Now, you and I could throw out a few that we think are pretty decent. I kind of like, uh, uh, what do I like? Silent Hill? Silent Hill might be the best of the bunch, and it's still a broken movie, but at least it's beautiful. I like the first Resident Evil. I think Warcraft has some great moments. Um, You know, I'm not like a snob when it comes to this stuff, but boy, everybody is proving over and over how hard it is to maintain a real narrative through a video game uh, structure. Well... I, but see, and I think it's a weird problem to have because games, obviously now, especially AAA titles like, you know, God of War, or the Uncharted movies or Uncharted games or stuff like that, they they meant to be giant narrative experiences. And they, they do have stories running through them that they want you to interact with and put yourself into to some degree. But the reason I think it doesn't work when they come back the other direction is that agency problem, because I'm. Nobody wants to sit in a room and, well, I used to say this, nobody wants to sit in a room and watch somebody else play a video game, but Twitch and the rise of, you know, superstar streamers would indicate that's not quite true. Well, that's a testament, I think, to the video game makers, because I'm not kidding, if you were to sit down and play uh, Centipede, I wouldn't watch it for five minutes. If you were to sit down and play Red Dead Redemption 2, I'd probably be interested for a good, like I was watching a short film. I would be for a while interested in the narrative of what you were doing. But uh, so they really nailed that. And but the thing of it is, oh, and by the way, I, I've seen a lot of tweets about people saying that will they or should they or do they want to do a Red Dead Redemption movie? Here's my here's my advice for that. If you want to see a Red Dead Redemption movie, watch two Westerns from the 50s, two from the 70s, Unforgiven and Deadwood. There, you've just seen Red Dead Redemption, the movie. <laughs> yeah, and and look, certainly they are pulling from a lot of experiences. But again, it's the, the agency is the difference. The idea that I can spend my time any way I want when I play a game 
is ultra true of like this experience in particular. Like I, I've spent hours now just riding my horse around and, and hunting and doing chores. And, and there is something about the rhythm of the game I find really soothing that no movie's ever going to reproduce. Oh no, that's one of the best things about the sandbox games that I think a lot of people don't get who, who don't play them is kind of like most video games that are have a real A to B to C to D E goal. You win, and now there may be some bonus material, whatever. But this is has all that, but it also has these huge oceans where, hey, there's no hurry to get to point E. If you wanna if you wanna do all these little satellite missions and satellite assignments, go ahead, you know, and and that is something that we didn't have in video games. We grew up when video games were brand new and we loved everything about them in their eight bit glory. And if you had shown us five minutes of Red Dead Redemption 2 when we were in, in 1985, if you had shown us five minutes of Red Dead Redemption 2, you would have been like, it's a game, it's a movie you can play. No, it would have, it would have blown our minds. We wouldn't have known, we would have gotten the context, but while it's true that very few uh, video games make for great movies, uh, back in the 80s, the video games were brand new. They were in their infancy. So you could see producers thinking, do we want to use video games as a plot point? Uh, as in, like, put a, a secret hidden code inside of a, cassette, a video game that a little boy has in his backpack. Or a guy gets sucked into a video game. Or just is it just slobs hanging out at a video game arcade? Or does somebody get sucked into, you know, all these different ways of... And very few of them were interesting or successful and i think that now that filmmakers are trying to make movies out of video games that's a lot less interesting i i I like movies that are more that find a way to incorporate video games into their own plot well and it's it's a particular moment you know because we we were there at the birth of video games at the moment where hollywood started to figure out that there was money in there and they start to go back and forth and then also Hollywood was having its weird relationship with computers that sort of all that anxiety is driven together. So I do think Hollywood was suspicious of video games and it's the same as their relationship with television. The first thing they heard was it's going to make Hollywood obsolete. And the moment you say that an industry will start to buckle down and try to figure out how to destroy this other industry or ignore it. But they eventually then come around and start trying to figure out how to make money off of it. And you're right. You named the the movies that happened in the early 80s. It was fascinating watching how they tried to fold games into the actual plots of movies. And we're just getting to that point now in some of the monthly stuff that we're doing. Our next couple of months have some giant ones like, you know, Last Starfighter or Cloak and Dagger, where it's 100% built around the idea of video games being central in some way. Right. And you could imagine, uh, like I, I always tell the the fun anecdote about how my maternal grandmother actually went with me to see a pay one, see one double feature that was The Last Starfighter, and then you could stay to see Cloak and Dagger, or vice versa. I don't remember which one it was. But uh, we saw them both. And I now, thinking back, I can only imagine, like, there's shots in Last Starfighter where the kid is just plap, you know, clap, hit, slapping away at a, a big cabinet video game. And I'm thinking, now, what did my grandmother think of that? Did you think that was, like, dumb? Or did she just think, oh, that's a new, a new technology that I'm not really, uh, I don't know much about, and it's a game. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, Last Starfighter, which we'll get into a lot in our next episode, but um, which is a pivotal moment for the idea of playing with video games on film, um, uses it in a very smart way because it's an old, they're doing an old, old, old story. They're doing Sword in the Stone, 
that's the, the the whole hero's call to arms and dropping something somewhere that you're waiting for somebody to figure out. That's a uh, you know it's a pretty old heroic form. Only the uh, the very pure and committed and devoted can exactly. Uh, can. It's a very old form, but it was such a and it was such a smart way to try to hook our generation because video games belonged to us. We were very possessive of them. My parents didn't go to arcades. If my parents showed up to get me from an arcade, I would quickly hustle them back outside. They were not welcome in there. And it felt like it was our space, our thing. So it did feel like, you know, they were speaking directly to us. And I had already by that point started to get cynical about Hollywood and video games because of Tron, which I felt like was such a whiff. Let's start there. Uh, our listeners know you're not a huge fan of Tron, but if we're, let's let's approach this from the context of the history of video games. Obviously, I think your opinion would be vastly different if you're approaching Tron solely from the perspective of a video game, not cinema per se. I think it's hugely important, and I do. I, I gave a lot of quarters. I spent a lot of quarters on the Tron video game, and I think one of my biggest problems with the movie is I wanted. I, I think the one great idea that exists in Tron, like maybe the best idea they have in the entire franchise, is light cycles. That's their lightsaber. That's unique to them and great and instantly iconic and recognizable. And there's really only the one big light cycle sequence in the movie. I wish they had leaned into some of their good ideas harder and, you know, and really made made use of that thing. The arcade game where you could choose between four different missions. I always played light cycles, always. Right. But eventually you had to do all four, right? Yeah, you do. And that's I didn't like the the brick bounce game, which is just, you know, like the the it's just the game where you're. Yeah, breakdown. It's just breakdown. But done in Tron world on Atari, it was breakout. Breakout, yes. But there were so many Tron games. There was the arcade ones. There was more than one. There was there were ones on Atari and in television. You could almost see the producers going, well, all right, so it wasn't the uh, the box office smash that we wanted, but boy, can we shoot off a whole bunch of video games from this concept because it literally takes place in a video game. And it's and it's iconic. You're right. It's one of the few that is that recognizable, even for a failed movie. And I do think it's why Disney came back to it. And dude, as much as I may not like that first film, I still wanted to love the new one. I, I went again and I even bought that new Tron Evolution game that came out when it came out, hoping that it was going to like be the best version of it. I, I like the original Tron about a full star more than you do. And I think I like the legacy one two stars less. I think aside from that am amazing score, I think it's like Battlefield Earth Catwoman bad. I honestly do. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It's, it's not good. And, and it it is frustrating because I think it's one of the closest to creating its own language for that kind of thing. A lot of them don't even try. Like Cloak and Dagger, which we're also about to talk about, uh, uses video games as a hook, but then I think abandons the actual video game really early. You know, but I, you know what? We could jump ahead. I, what I like about Cloak and Dagger, and I'll let you finish. Sorry, uh, I, I just like that the MacGuffin is instead of it being like a, um, a, a a microfilm that's in a briefcase or a microfilm that's in a a large clunky '80s phone, it's in a video game, which is something a kid would have. That's all. That it doesn't need to be more video gamey than that. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about whether I like the movie. I'm just saying in terms of the video game stuff, they drop it early. It's not really the function. It's safe to say that Drew McWeeny likes Cloak and Dagger. Oh, I might. We'll see. 
Um, oh, he's suspenseful. Wait, let's jump back, though, because Tron was like the big splash as far as video games and movies. Like, you got your video games in my movies. You got your movies in my video games. And now, almost immediately, then the following year, we would get a movie that incorporates video games into a plot that's fantastic. And I think you love war games. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the first moment where... It's right. And it's authentic. It comes out because hacker culture, early hacker culture, I think, is reflected accurately in David. It may not like all work exactly like that, but the spirit of it is right. And the notion of what it was that people were were chasing around when they were trying to play games. And he's always looking for a new game or a new kick or something that's a little more realistic or man, that's a gamer. They got him right. And so that's a moment where you recognize, oh, my God, that's really us reflected on screen and it's just a smart screenplay in that uh not insignificant section of young people are on video or on computers playing these types of games how hard would it be for one to either either intentionally or inadvertently uh get into a a high security system and cause some real danger and a good screenwriter will turn that into something like war games and like you said it, it it incorporates video games into it so it's not just window dressing like look at this cool kid he plays video games no no it's part it's integral to the plot i also and i i didn't even connect this until what you just said but i i think that it's got dual appeal because it david is very accurate to us in our experience and what motivates him is very accurate to us in our experience but it taps into i think the anxieties that our parents in their generation felt about computers and handing things over to computers they didn't trust them the way we did So I think it plays to that anxiety that is a generational thing so that we both could go see that movie, see something of ourselves in it. And that central like we talked about on the show, then the beautiful part of it is at the end, there's no bad guy in the room. There's nobody trying to make a thermonuclear war happen. Everybody ultimately is on the same side, but we all got there from a different direct. That's good writing. In the hands of different filmmakers, you could turn like they could the end of the movie could be like, hmm, so who's the ultimate bad guy here? Not the military, not the kids. It's video games. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, if if there were no games, you'd have never done this, David. I, absolutely. There's a horrible version of that movie that could have leaned on that as the button at the end. Um, and I, you know, through there's some video game panic that happens in the 80s, certainly. And there's there's fear of it and the fear of computers. I don't think any film. Uh, captures what what Drew calls video game panic than a film that parents were infuriated and terrified of, Joysticks. <laughs> I mean, oh, Mom, I'm going to go down to the arcade and play some Centipede, and then she sees Joysticks on HBO, and it's sexual nature, behavior, and dirtiness, and <gasps> no, that's all a joke. Nothing, None of that ever happened. Um, it's interesting. And also, you know, there was the other direction that started happening. I know that uh, even though Tron didn't work, I did pump a lot of quarters in that machine. And I spent a lot of time playing the early Star Wars games when I found them, um, which didn't do a great job of simulating the entire film. But, you know, the early 80s, late 70s, that wireframe Death Star run was state of the freaking art and amazing. When I would go to a mall arcade, I would play the sit down. Because it had the speakers right behind your head, and it would say, you'd hear, let go, Luke, let go, right behind so you. So good. And, and, uh, but in the uh, near, local to my house, we had an ice cream shop, and they had the stand-up one, 
Uh, and I, yeah, I got pretty good at that. I, I, I'm not going to uh, crow about being great at video games as a kid because I was really good at some and horrible at others. But I got pretty good at, at that Star Wars. That was great. Um, one game that I never got good at that drove me crazy walks the fine line between these two things. And I, I'm curious what your feelings were about Don Bluth's work on Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Yeah, it, you know, it's like video games, again, we, uh, video games were brand, not brand new, but in their infancy throughout the mid-80s, and you could see people trying new things. I mean, we don't have to get into it, but there was a whole little grungy subsection of Atari games that were pornographic. There, You can look them up. Dude, there's Leisure Suit Larry's coming back this year. Yeah, but no, no, I mean, even lower than that. Oh, I know. There's Custer's Revenge and the really awful ones. Beat them and eat them. Not oh, lying. God. Oh, God. Do you yes. remember now? Do you remember the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game or the Halloween game? There were loose uh, adaptations and they often looked a lot like uh, other games. Uh, I very clearly remember that one of my friends from school had the Alien game. It was a third party game uh, based on Alien. And when you popped it in, it looked like a uh, Pac-Man in the green tinge that you expect from an alien. But it was all it was Pac-Man. It was just running through a maze collecting eggs for some reason. Um, but, uh, nothing else on joysticks as far as, uh, putting its stamp on video game culture, Drew? Well, I mean, I think you're being somewhat sarcastic because that's a movie that, that the moments where it broke through in a larger sense and where it was surprising were where you saw established older sort of Hollywood icons than trying to figure out how to fit around it. Right. But, but, but like movies like joysticks and, and like little ones, they're like the bricks that make up a pop culture, uh, uh, not sensation, but a pop culture event or, or something that's there to stay. And it's junky, but when you have a pop culture movie about a certain subsection of the culture, that's kind of like when, like when you see Breakin'. Oh, no, absolutely. And then the difference is that jump from Breakin', which is canon, quickly capitalizes on something, and Beat Street, where MGM decides to do it. And it's crazy to me when you see movies like Superman 3 or you see Never Say Never Again, which are established franchises, Superman, who's been around since the 30s, and James Bond. Explain to our listeners how these two films use video games and poorly. Well, Never Say Never Again has that sequence in the middle, which has got to be one of the weirder sequences in any James Bond movie where he and Klaus Maria Brandauer play a video game real hard at each other. You, I mean, you think that these scenes where like someone's trying to hack, hack, get into a hack before they get caught, like, and that's supposed to pass for suspense. So boring. Oh boy, this is 10 times worse. But it's interesting because this is clearly now, okay, we've got to update. These are these things that have been around forever. How do we keep them fresh? We have to bend now and let these things into these franchises in new ways. And you could just see it like they kick the door into Sean Connery's office. I got it. That slow spot in act two. Yeah. Read this article. Video games are sweeping the nation. Jesus Christ. You're not going to make me play a fucking video game are you? <laughs> Write it. <laughs> Christ. Yeah, it's. Uh, I want to be. I want to be hip for the teens. Just, just, and but it. I understand at the same time. I understand how this is how these things start to creep in. Is they start to creep in at the edge of stuff that's gigantic. It's a creep. It's like things start to creep in, and then all of a sudden, boom. And then it didn't really go. Like I think nope, Hollywood nope. very quickly chickened out. It just became a normal part of pop culture. It wasn't a sensation. It was just there to stay. It would be like. It's like making movies about the telephone or a microwave oven. It's like most most houses have a game system 
and like will incorporate it when it matters. What about though Superman three, Drew? Yeah, it's it's towards the end of the film, and uh, you know that movie has an insane relationship with computers. Uh, Richard Pryor has that thing that happens in eighties film where computers are magic, and he presses two buttons and they do things that computers still can't do today. But he figures it out somehow on one of these computers from nineteen eighty three. And towards the end of that movie, he's like playing a video game trying to kill Superman. It's just it's it's. A, it it is a. I'm, I'm looking at it on YouTube right now. Hold wild on, misunderstanding of how video games work or what the appeal of them was to us. But it's just again, it's like somebody trying to appeal to. Uh, look, kids, look, I get it. Video games. Drew, well, let's talk about one you really love, the Bishop of Battle. The Bishop of Battle from Nightmares. Uh, Emilio Estevez, who's a rotten kid who's addicted. God, Dad, I just want to beat the high score on this game, Dad. God. As soon as I do that, Dad, I'll go to college and then I'll get a job and I'll marry somebody. But, Dad, first I have to play my video game. I just want to beat the high score. And they don't even write. They should have written in there that, like, <laughs> if I beat the high score, like, uh, I'll get a prize or I'll get interviewed. Like, something. Then you need to, like <laughs> Some stakes for him. And then he gets sucked into a video game, which looks a little bit like a, a prehistoric uh, laser tag. Now, I'm, I was, there were movies that I wish had had video games in the 80s or good video games in the 80s that never got them and that I was really bummed out by. Like there, there were movies that came out where I wish somebody had had the ambition and the foresight to go, yeah, that should probably be a video game. Escape from New York would have made a great video game. It has a great premise for it. It still would. Snake Plissken would make a great video game if you did like a real, but, and and I know there have been attempts and they bounced off it. People who made uh, the, the very late, but pretty damn decent video game version of the thing that came out, I think in like 2012 or 2010, uh, for Xbox, that was really good. And it's like, hell, if you can wring some quality out of nostalgia, go ahead and do it. But Well, I, I dude, Friday the 13th, playing that game with friends, genuinely, and that actually was the reason my boys were finally ready to watch Friday the 13th, was the game was so much fun to them. That's a case where they got all the little, all the little things that we like about the series as fans, ended up in there or enough of them that it feels like you're sitting with somebody who likes the movies playing. Well, let, let's flip it just a bit and talk a bit, a bit about video games uh, based on movies from the 80s that we were back then. I mean, uh, I had the Empire Strikes Back game. I played the shit out of that. Right. And I only know that one. It's a side scrolling shooter. And you, there was a glowing dot on the Adat's shoulder and you had to shoot it. That's I played a lot of that game. Yeah, not good. Not a not a particularly not a game that had a lot of replay value, but I played a lot of it anyway. Yeah, low-hanging fruit, but do you have any thoughts on the infamous E.T. game? It is their fault, and it's a perfect example of how little respect there is for licenses. And I, I think that's the biggest problem. Ultimately, I think if you let fans take the time to do something well, and if you let people work with filmmakers and you did this really healthy back and forth, I think you could create some really wonderful, great things that work in both mediums and kind of feed each other. And we're and we've just barely <laughs> GoldenEye. <laughs> you know, GoldenEye is a great example of a game that just worked. <laughs> I and the the Bond license for a little while felt like they were about to figure it out. Like I liked about fifteen minutes of From Russia with Love, but then they lost their minds. So it's like every time you see somebody like get close with a license that you want to have great games for, it's kind of heartbreaking. But I know I oh god, how many alien did you play Alien Isolation? 
Yeah, it's good. Yeah, good. I never finished it, but I like the I like the uh, very what's the way I would try it? like low tech approach. It's very frustratingly difficult, but I guess that's kind of the point of an alien game. <laughs> yeah, if you want to run around and collect a whole bunch of stuff and get forty five achievements and, and subtasks, no, it, it's kind of a linear but long arduous journey. Yeah, wait, we we forgot one. I have. You're gonna laugh. I don't think I've ever seen it in its entirety, and we won't get to it for uh, several months, but it's uh, a little Fred Savage film called The Wizard. Yeah, it's uh, that came out in 89. Thoughts on the film as just marketing? Well, it's it was shameless. It's it's a a that is the wave two of let's try to figure this out. And that's really that's so be- true. I'm really glad you delineated that, and we'll get to that when we get to 87, 88, but there was like the pong atari in television and a few other sundry side and then there was like a three-year gap well and think of think about how quick that cycle went because we're talking about the beginning of the decade video games are just starting to creep in 1989 is back to the future 2 when our buddy elijah makes his appearance and he makes the joke about that you have to play that with your hands that's like a baby game and the games they're showing are games that already by 89 are starting to be outmoded and older and it's so it's funny to me how quick the life cycle of that first round of video gaming was it went fast we fell in love hard and then they kind of died and then round two was the home units and it was nintendo and it was those kids who they said okay they're back in they're buying a shitload of this stuff Let's make a movie where we have a special controller. Yeah, it wasn't even a next generation. It was, oh, all right. The little brothers and little sisters of the uh, of those other kids who played Atari and television. Those ones that we screwed their little siblings now want to play. A oh, different my God. System. D- uh, you are so laser accurate with that because you're right. Not a whole generation. It's a generation of gaming, but it's the little brothers and sisters. And I know that because I had no interest in Nintendo until my friend's little brother Every time I would go over, would have his face connected to the screen and was addicted to Metroid. And I was like, all right, I guess I got to check it out. I loved any of the adventure games, any of the Super Mario World. I loved all those. I had so many different systems. I was loyal to one. And then when that one died, I'd be loyal to the opposite brand. Right now, I have an Xbox. If and when that dies, I'll probably get a PlayStation. I've always had a console. I I love games. Sometimes I'll go three months without playing anything and then i'll play every night for six months i mean it's yeah and it's and i think we got it got its hooks in us young so we certainly were open to watching the evolution on both sides of it and like i love the moments where people have tried to put them together a little bit more like when the wachowskis tried to figure out the matrix and what the and man if they come eight years later Five years later, even they might have had a better shot at really building the Matrix online the way they were talking about. But it's all timing like the right idea doesn't always marry the technology at the right time. So that's part of it as well. And it has to be natural. You know, movie fans can be cynical. Video game fans can definitely be cynical. Just wedging the two together is not going to please fans. Put, you know, marrying the two in a creative and exciting fashion Uh, which some films have managed to do slightly. But, you know, I I mean, I remember three months before Assassin's Creed came out and I thought, damn, could this finally be like, like maybe not the diehard, but this could be like, could this be like the lethal weapon or the the stamp of action, you know, approval on the video? Nope. Yeah, I keep, I know, I keep crossing my fingers too. And I do, I because you think there's so many smart people who love both ends of this. And 
I think what's happening to I think the people that are getting it right right now are the game makers who are trying to get you to real emotional places where you're having real emotional reactions the same way you would at the end of a great movie. I know you don't have a PlayStation. She didn't play Spider-Man, but I'll give them this Spider-Man, the game made me cry in a way that none of the films have maybe since Spider-Man two, because it got the character right. And, uh, you know what? You cry when Burt Young eats a meatball. Well, dude, I feel for the meatball. Um, (laughs) I hear that game is unbelievable. And like I I said earlier, I love the idea of open world games. And if Spider-Man was available on Xbox, I would be playing it right now. So I think, I think they're getting better at the narrative stuff and the emotional stuff in video games. I, I still don't see though, Hollywood really getting their head around how to make the experience work the other way. And we've seen stuff like hardcore Henry recently, where they're trying to use video game language almost. And what was the what was the one that they did where where literally there's a sequence where it pops into well, Doom does it, and then somebody else did it recently where Oh, you're they, right. They dropped into the actual language of the first person shooter for a while. I can't remember which there's one. A, there's a new film coming out called Overlord that does that a bit and it's kind of fun. Yeah, and it's and when that happens, clearly it's You know, because people, so many filmmakers spend so much time now playing games and people would be shocked if they knew which filmmakers play games incessantly. I think there's a lot of filmmakers who spend a lot of time doing that. And so it doesn't surprise me to see language creeping in visual language and and devices from games and the way they do like stunts and things and the way they shoot at an action scene is meant to evoke this stuff now. But they still haven't really gotten across it. And. It's the same problems over and over. We saw all of it play out this first time around in the 80s. What about video game and nostalgia in current films like Wreck-It Ralph and Ready Player One? Inevitable, because obviously the 80s sort of mining of the 80s has gone on for a while now. And surprisingly, the video game stuff has been fairly light. It wasn't until, I think, Pixels where somebody overtly... I didn't mention Pixels on purpose, Drew. I intentionally mentioned the other two films, which I kind of like. Well, Wreck-It Ralph, I think, is great, and Ready Player One, I like. Wreck-It Ralph is great. Wreck-It Ralph, what they do so well is the inner life of video games. And what you see when somebody gets this wrong is just trying to use the icon without understanding any of what made them fun or made them lasting or resonant. Wreck-It Ralph, the idea that there's an inner life to Donkey Kong, that he would want anything other than to kidnap the girl and drop the barrels, is a funny place to start in terms of thinking. And there should have been so much more of that in the 80s. Like, I think Rich Moore that and the creative team on Wreck-It Ralph might, might have been the first people to ever truly ask us a, to, to consider the life inside a game in a way that Tron didn't get right. That's why I like... Wreck-It Ralph a lot because in, in it could have just been up oh, Toy Story with the video game characters. And that might have been the very, very early genesis of, hey, we could do... But then it was, well, it's, if we're going to bring video game characters to life, let's follow what they'd want to do based on their video game. And I like... I, I'm looking forward to the sequel. I like Wreck-It Ralph very much. Uh, Drew, what's the earliest... What's the earliest film you can think of that has a video game in it? Well, that'll be up to you, a question for our listeners. Like, what is the earliest film to feature a video game, either the screen or the cabinet or something to that effect? Because I, I imagine that for a lot of people, 
it might have been the first place they saw video game was in a movie. If they lived in an area that didn't get them at the same time as some of the the earliest places. Like, imagine you're watching Jaws and you've never seen a video game before. What would you think that game must have blown your mind? Yeah, I wonder. And I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the very, very first appearance. But I know that for me, I remember that feeling of you'd go into a bowling alley or something. You'd see a video game like cabinet for the first time, like a lightning bolt moment. And... Yeah, you want to see what game it is, right? Yeah, and certainly it started to creep into the and I like that. I liked that feeling of starting to see them in in movies and starting to see characters standing against them in movies and it just populated that world out in a way that, you know, I it reflected what I was going through and I I do. I really love that feeling as that was going on. How could we fail to mention Maximum Overdrive? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's two video games. That's two movies in, that Emilio Estevez stars in, in which video games kill people. <laughs> it's it's true. Yeah, I would like to uh, know, does Emilio Estevez have a problem with video games? Why does he have to be so vidious? Yeah. Is he just is he just picking scripts based on that? Does he have a bias? Yeah, that's not cool. That's not cool, man. Now, did you ever play the uh, the Jaws video game? The one that was supposed to be a shark game, and then they just turned it into a Jaws game. Well, there have been there have been a couple. There was the, well, they, then be more specific with your questions. I, that's what I'm asking. Is have you played any of them? Because I I think it's one of those weird things that they keep coming back to, and it, I I still don't know what the the hook would be. Are you the shark who's going to eat people? Are you a person trying to survive a shark? Like that is the, it's sometimes when you buy a license. The only way to do a Jaws game would be. If you could play as one of the three heroes and you go through it, you know, you have to go through the stuff to build up your ship and then you have to go out and, but I mean, that game would be 45 minutes long. So, you know what? Just leave it alone. That's what the Super Nintendo one was. Whereas the later one, the one that came out in like the mid 2000s at some point was Jaws, like Jaws Unleashed. And you were. Yeah, that game was just was produced as some shark attack game. And then the license was added. Yeah, they just slapped the name on it. And then it's literally just. Yeah, you just roam around eating things. And no, that's that's not the game. I I think I played it for an hour. I used to go to a a game, a privately owned game store. Not not a chain. I don't know why. Why have to designate that? Never mind. Um, I rented it from one of those stores where you could rent stuff for two games for two days. And I think I played the Jaws game for about an hour. I was not into it. I know that um, even some of the worst ones have their fans. I, Kevin Beagle is a giant RoboCop fan. And so in his garage that is his screening room, he tracked down an arcade RoboCop game and it occasionally works. Sometimes it'll just lurch to life and we'll play it for an hour. And um, I, I, I have a fondness for some of the terrible ones simply because of the license that's attached but I there's don't uh, I don't remember I don't know if it would hold up if I played it on an emulator but I bet you and I both have similar affection for the original Star Wars Raiders game and especially the arcade Temple of Doom game yeah yeah uh, the that you know what I I am not an expert on this stuff but I bet you the Temple of Doom uh, arcade game was an influential game it had stuff like. Uh, like that it introduced stuff that you didn't see in video games before like optional things that you didn't have to hit but you could get extra points for hitting them and stuff like that it was like uh, it was i think it was an advancement for adventure games well and i i mean dude i know i spent a lot of hours playing pitfall and pretending it was indiana jones because there was no indiana jones game at that point and um and yeah so when raiders came out even though raiders was super clunky and and kind of that early 8 
Man, I loved it. I loved having it. I loved playing it. I have the vaguest recollections of like you had to build this, the build the staff, right? Or you yeah, had you to- had to use two different. You had to use both controllers. Like it was such an awkward, un. Oh, yeah, it was complicated, man. It was. Um, I had to have a friend over to play it, and it was not a. And it's not a two-player game. It's supposed to be a one-player game, but almost impossible to control as one person. So yeah, uh, it was something else. Um, I do. I, I have. I have a real. F- I'm. I'm. I think we're lucky that we've seen all of it from the beginning. I think my kids are going to have a totally different. They do have a different relationship with games and what games are and what how they think of them than we do. And to them, it makes sense that the crossover. Sorry, only one generation will have the experience of going. Oh, wait a minute! You could play a game on your TV. Yeah. And as a kid, I don't want to make myself sound ancient, but as a kid, I went, oh. You could play games on your TV. Like, that's cool. Like, <laughs> so your kids grew up like video games might have like old games might that that old game is corny. I'm not playing that, but they've always had them. They've always, uh, you know. Well, and and I think that they they accept that you get a game with a giant property that you love. And they have, there's Star Wars games that they play all the time. They play Star Wars Battlefront all the time. They're used to it. They expect it on some level. And if there's not a game that goes with something, or if there's not a game that expands the world in some way, I think their generation kind of thinks it's suspect. So it's we're back at that point now where Hollywood almost has to do it out of obligation, and we're going to get a lot of terrible stuff. They're going to burn their audience down you know again. What? Has every has every Marvel game gotten a video game? I mean, has every Marvel movie gotten a video game? Uh, no, and in fact, a lot of and Marvel. I, I think the Spider Man is that outlier where they got Marvel really right. But there's been a generation where Marvel sat it out and kind of knew that they weren't. Why they've produced now what Marvel Cinematic Universe is 18, 19 films. Why? Why aren't there 19 official tie-ins? I think because they're hard. I think that I think getting the games right, there was an Iron Man game that wasn't very good that didn't really work. And I think they I think they're tough. I think it's still a tough thing to do well in both fields. So Marvel's been smart about not falling into the trap of just doing the obligatory knee jerk every single thing gets a video game. Yeah, no, because like the nineties and, and the early thousands, that kind of was if it was a tent pole movie, it had a game, maybe two. Yeah. <laughs> And some of them, like there's, there's crazy, awful ones that, um, you know, my kids get frustrated with Transformers games. You would think that would be one of the easiest genres to get right, and there's very few good ones. Uh, you know, uh, uh, here's an interesting subtopic: good games based on not so great movies, like Butcher Bay, based on um, Riddick. Yeah, that was that was a very fun game. I like the first Riddick. I don't like the second. I like Pitch Black. I don't. I think the second one's ridiculous. Maybe maybe my favorite Star Wars game, just in terms of amount of time played, was when I was living with a couple of guys uh, right around when Phantom Menace came out and that pod racing video game for the Nintendo 64. Holy crap, did we play that thing. We must have played that game Three million times. That might have been my tech, that might have been my that might have been my Tecmo Bowl era. How many awful Rocky games are there? Um several there's several awful rocky games to put a button on all of this i think there is one company goonies 2 the only video game to have the audacity to call itself a sequel to the movie there you go sorry well there's that there's ghostbusters which tried to expand things by having the original guys come back i remember that very first ghostbusters game where you drive around the grid city map i thought that game was pretty great for a while i did there was the the big one was what was it 
just Ghostbusters, the video game, I think. And that was the one where they had the original voice cast as much as they could. And they really wanted that thing to expand the universe. It just didn't, though. And I, I, I think there's one company that has kind of figured out a model that I don't know if it's for me, but boy, does it seem to work for people. And it's the Lego company. Their oh, I was, adaptations I was going to say, is it Telltale Games? <laughs> uh, well, Telltale does their own kind of thing, and I love some of their licensed stuff. But I think what Lego does that nobody else really does is you just play through the movies, but with kind of a fart joke added at the end of every scene. Oh, yeah. I've played several of the uh, Lego games. There's now dozens of them. But uh, there were Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I remember being very excited when Indiana Jones was announced as the second or third one. Uh, and anytime I've sat down for an hour with an hour to kill, the Lego games are a lot of fun. And that's, but I think their secret is it's just the movies. They just play you through the movies in sequence. There's really not, it's not an expansion. They're not trying to add anything to it. And it's what nobody else really does. It's almost like a mild airplane parody of act one, act two, act three. It's the PG rated mad magazine version of the movie. And it's super simple, super safe satire, but beat for beat the movies. And that is that is an experience that I've seen my kids will play over and over and they'll play the same ones over and over. And yeah, you want to collect those coins and collect all the achievements. They're smart. Video game designers are smart. They know what they want. Uh, you know, they know what gamers enjoy. And they, but they, that they, company uh, has figured out a model that I'm surprised nobody else is really imitating. And. I, it's it's interesting that they cracked that code of how to just play the movie. That'll be our question. Uh, t- tweet us at 80s all over and say if a, a Lego video game should be based on an 80s film. Uh, a Lego Highlander, of course. No. What? No. <laughs> no, right, there's so no Lego uh, Highlander. Uh, hit us up on 80s all over and tell us uh, what 80s movie should get its own Lego video game. How about that? There you go. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's, it is a broad conversation. Certainly. I don't think we covered everything. We didn't even get into computer anxiety movies, which I think feed directly into all this. If you guys want to see uh, exactly how weird filmmakers got about computers, uh, watch a movie called electric dreams coming soon to eighties all over. Um, thank you very much guys. As always, if you're listening to this, you are already a patron, uh, and we appreciate you. Um, we are, we have so many good guests lined up for right now for the uh, the next couple of months. I'm excited to get everybody in and record them. Um, in addition, uh, Scott said that when he met you guys face to face at at uh, Fantastic Fest, he kept hearing commentary as a word over and over from you guys. So we'll play in some more of those. Um, thank you. Thank you for the support and thank you for the uh, the constant feedback that you give us. Yep, yep. If you like the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or hop on Twitter or Facebook and recommend us. Uh, we really appreciate all the support, and we will see you next week. Yahoo! You're all clear, kid! Recap, kid, that was one in a million. Remember, the force will be with you. Always.